Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. Good to have you back. Speaking of back, we are back with our good friends, President and CEO, and Mrs. President and CEO, Ben and Lindley Mandrell. Ben and Lindley, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to Thank be you with you and have another conversation here. We're excited. It feels like it's been, I don't know, 30 seconds since yeah. we just stopped recording the last podcast because it, it was. Yeah. Of course, for the listeners, it's been a, a week or more now, but it's good to have you back again. So thank you for talking some more with us. We talked last time about breakfast cereal and uh, how Lindley has this habit of of eating Honey Nut Cheerios every day. Every, yes. day. every day. I don't... And you mentioned a couple other things. Now you uh, you mentioned Honey Nut Cheerios and a eight ounce Diet Coke. Is that right? Oh no no no, an eight ounce no. regular Coke. Regular Coke. Okay, we so do it's not, not do diet. diet. We, no. All right. Well, it sounds like you have a strong and, opinion about the Diet Coke and a couple a cup of applesauce of applesauce at, at ten p.m. A cup of applesauce at night. So you're driven by habits and ritual and regular things. And so does that, is that something that brings you, do you find comfort in those, those habits that, that are predictable? Of course. Like I, I, the, I mean, the hardest thing for me, honestly, is our weeks that vary when you can't just say, I mean, cause I'm one of those people that's like, I do laundry on Wednesday and Saturday and I do this Creature on this day kind of thing. And um, it just makes me feel like I, I actually feel like I have more free time when I know what, what structure I do on what day. So, but I mean, with Ben's life, I mean, in his role at Lifeway, we have to travel a lot or we get to travel a lot. I mean, in different things. And so sometimes that gets thrown off and it's a little, it's a little challenging around our household. But even when your life is kind of crazy and in chaos and you have a lot of change, if you have some of those regular habit things, those yes. islands of stability you can come back to, yes. that kind of can help you uh, regulate, right? Um, I agree. Now, Ben, you, they say opposite to tract. You, uh, you, are not, you are not a guy who does the same thing. Do you do the same thing ever? No, we just heard a lady <laughs> discuss this the other night. She was confessing that she has idea Idea. I'm writing that down. I like too that. many ideas coming out all at once and don't know what to do with them. And about every three months, Lindley will find me face down in the carpet in my office on stacks of paper, asking myself the question: What am I going to do with all this? All this stuff? All these ideas? And I. That's why opposite to track because Lindley helps me like focus it into a plan. For sure. But so, but even in terms of like what you eat, would you, like when you go to a restaurant, Ben, do you order the same thing off the menu or do you get different things each time? I can answer this for him. He orders the picture. Oh, okay. Whatever is pictured on a menu. I'll take that one. He says, that looks good. I want that. And then every time it comes out, he goes, it doesn't look like the picture. It, does. it never and looks like the picture. I'm like, because that's like prime marketing. I mean, they didn't, they don't market it, you know, to not look good. So anyway, no, he, he orders the pictures. I, if, if a menu has it, it's gonna, that's what he's getting. But, but you go with the picture as, and you want it as pictured, right? You're like, bring me that thing right there. Chuck, you're an Enneagram seven. You realize nothing is ever as good as we hope it to be. Period. This is true. And so we live in this world of like excitement and disappointment, Ben, right? Absolutely. All the time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But Lindley, you, my perception would be that you probably know what you want and you don't have to open the menu. You just say, I would like to have this and this thing on the side. Are you an on the side person? Oh yes. They don't touch. Stuff doesn't touch. <laughs> Unless it's like roast beef and mashed potatoes. 
I was but thinking I like mean, your dressing, right? Like bring me the yeah. salad, but the ranch on the side. Yes. Give me my pancakes and eggs on two separate plates so that it's not like, what if the syrup were to run into the bacon? Oh gosh, be terrible. <laughs> it's true. And I like making a big stew and just stir it all up. Just stir it all up. It's waffles and spaghetti, except the opposite. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So with that, you, I, I wanted to get into a little bit of how you two are so different, and yet you complement one another and help one another so well. Uh, we we all need, and I'm very similar. My wife is an Enneagram One. Chris is very organized. She is very structured, and I am very much the Seven, looking for what's new, what's next, what's exciting, and and those shiny things can easily distract me uh, mm-hmm. to be thinking about something else. And she really helps to focus me. And I see the two of you. Lindley in particular, I see you really helping Ben stay focused <laughs> with all of his brilliant ideas that we have to figure out how do you organize those and what do you pursue? And so this setup is not just for fun, but it'll go beyond that. Ben, what do you want to add? Well, I would say this. This is a, a result of a recent healing moment in our marriage. Mm. The person with structure rarely gets credit for also being a visionary. Yeah, good word. Lindley actually, more than just implementing my ideas, has a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. Hers are just much more practical. (laughs) And And attainable. (laughs) Yeah, I have an idea, but it's never, we can't put it into practice without somebody thinking about all the different ways to institute it. And also, Lindley brings fresh ideas to the table, too. So. We, we've had to work through this in the, over the years because it's not like Ben's full of all these great ideas and Lindley figures out how to implement them. Like it really is a, a both and. Um, That's well, a great I mean, word. Yeah. In a lot of, in a lot of ways, I actually come up with the ideas and he makes it fun. And so, yeah. you know, we always talk about Ben's the visionary and it has hurt my feelings over the years. Cause I'm like, actually, I mean, a good portion of things we do as far as within the church, within our kids ministry, all those stuff like the intentionality came from me and, but then he said, but we could do this to add fun. And it was so needed and it was such a great combination. If you can, if you can, you know, die to your pride and be like, great, he's somebody like plussed my idea kind of thing. So I think that's a really good word, Ben. I'm glad that you interjected there to just to clarify the point of the discussion isn't to say one of us is the idea person and one is the implementation. However, that yeah. we're better together. The idea that the Lord right. partners us with people who, whether the idea is theirs and we make it fun, or if we have the ideas and they help us choose how to which one to go with first, God just tends to put us with people who who make us better. Yeah, and I see that in the two of you that together you are such a strong team. And I want to use that to set you up to talk a bit about your church plant. So you have pastored in an established church and you've done that together, but you two had quite an adventure where you moved out to Colorado, uh, rolled into a town, I assume, where you knew very few people, if anyone, and you were there to plant a church where there was nothing before. And so together, you each brought something to that conversation and to the plan. I'm sure it was difficult and stressful and a lot to it. So I want to ask you to just tell us the story of Storyline and how you planted that together, slanting, of course, towards the kids ministry aspect. And, And how is it that you used kids ministry there to help you establish a brand new church? So tell us the story of planting that church together. 
Well, first, I want to start by saying this before we get into the church planting story. Lindley and I want to recognize that all ministry is hard. Mm. And revitalization, in many ways, is harder than church planting. So I Mm. think over the years, we've gotten this idea that church planters are the really brave people that set out and start something new. And that, that does require courage. But I would also say there are times when the most courageous thing you can do is stay where you are and bring lasting change through long suffering, which is patience. But in our story with Storyline, yeah, we got to start something from scratch and we got to put our own DNA in it. And we learned early on in a post-Christian culture that putting kids ministry as a centerpiece of the church, not something on the side, but as a centerpiece of the church was one of the wisest things we did. Would you agree with that, Lindley? Oh, I mean, yes. But I think that also spoke to where we are. I think you have to know your context. Hmm. I mean, we were in an area that we we purposely planted in a suburban area. I mean, we had four elementary schools at that time. So we knew that we were not downtown urban people. Hmm. That was not the context. And so I think people sometimes just misidentify who they're trying to reach in different places. And so, I mean, we really did the study to know ahead of time where we were going um, and then we knew that we, we wanted a church that because of our kids' ages and what they needed, we wanted a church that was just drawing families. So we did not have a co- good college ministry. There was no colleges anywhere near us. We didn't have a great singles ministry. There was not, I mean, we lived in a double income, like a dual income sort of area. And so, I mean, we just knew going in, if the kids' ministry did not connect with the community, it was not going to, the church wasn't going to thrive because that's, that, that's all that we had around us. Well said, because it, 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 you do have to pick what you're going to focus on. And we, we loved doing college ministry. We were in a college town before we moved out to Arvada, but we realized that this is not college territory. This is young family territory. So to be relevant to them is to think about what we could do to help their kids. So what? how did you approach that then? As you're walking in, you're looking for spaces to meet. How was kids ministry uh, an influence on the facility that you chose? And then how did you go about establishing a team and building out a, a strategy for your kids ministry? Well, I mean, initially we lived right behind an elementary school. And that was our target because, I mean, we just feel like it is important to go to church and to reach people right around you, not ones that are 20, 30 minutes away. I mean, just the people that you're always going to come into contact with. So we targeted the elementary school right behind us and we didn't get it at first. I mean, Ben has just horror stories of trying to get into that um, elementary school, but we did finally, God did open that door. And, um, and that's exactly what we, I mean, we just kind of went in knowing what we wanted because we wanted the people on our street. Like that's how we began is like, what are the people on our street going to feel comfortable with? Well, they already are comfortable with that school. They're familiar with it. They've walked those halls. And so to come in again to a church setting doesn't feel altogether unusual as opposed to we were offered at the early at the early onset an old church on a different street, kind of far away. But it was pews, red carpet. It was a church that had died. And Ben and I both just, we just felt like God was not moving that direction because that mm-hmm. doesn't feel comfortable to some of these people. And so they would rather be in a comfortable setting. Well, I do agree with, with what Reggie Joyner says when he says church is a place. Like it or not, people associate place with church. And when people walk into an elementary school and they can see the amount of hours you spent preparing a classroom, turning it into a space for children, it, it you know, people love to enter a prepared atmosphere. So early on for us, it meant creating really clean classrooms with cool pipe and drape, fun things on the floor, toys setting out. 
And Lindley was meticulous about making sure every room set up was just right when kids were walking in. It was a big deal at first to make a positive first impression with families. And we, it kind of worked for us at that point because the elementary school wasn't much to look at. But then you walk in and be like, wow, look what they've done with the place. It creates credibility. I think people underestimate aesthetics. And I mean, call me shallow, whatever you want. I just think we like eye candy is appealing to human beings. And so I think, I mean, we go into buildings all the time. We actually have a podcast on our, on the glass house coming out next week or two weeks from now about aesthetics in church. And I mean, I just think kids ministry, there is so much you can do to a space to make it feel more appealing to kids and families at very cheap. Like we had no money. And so I'm not coming at this from like, I think people sometimes think that I'm coming from like this big budget dollar, you know, and we don't have $50,000 to change it. But I mean, you can do so much with so little, you know, and I think too, that we underestimate like our entire kids ministry was decked out in Ikea stuff that we made look good. And people kind of snubbed their nose at me a little bit originally, but I was like, this is not this is not doctor's office furniture that people sit on every day. Like they're literally in here like twice a week, maybe. And so, and in five years, all styles change anyway. So if you're not changing your stuff every few years as is, then you're immediately irrelevant. And so why spend tons of money on like high quality things, unless you have a course of daycare in your church, that kind of thing. But for the most part, go to Ikea and get some cool things. But even meeting in an elementary school, and I know we have a lot of listeners out there who are who are in mobile churches where they're loading in early on a Sunday morning and then yeah. they're setting everything up, doing church and then tearing it back down and loading it into a, a truck or a storage container or a trailer that they lock up in the parking lot for the week and then doing it again and again. That can be exhausting. Absolutely it is. But the details, just as you said, adding a little bit of extra decor or something that can make that feel less temporary or more appealing, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of folks who are struggling through where you've been. Then, So once you move to a, a space of your own, what, were, what did you look for in a space of your own? We took a totally different approach in how we decorated our church in a secular area, and it worked. I'll let Lindy speak to it because she was the master designer. Yeah, so, I mean, being in Colorado, Western culture loves the outdoors. And so decorating the kids' ministry spaces, instead of, you know, having the fruits of the Spirit on the wall that kids don't understand, you know, we really, I mean, the classes, the the first grade classroom was kind of a canoe room, and we, we literally had a canoe in there, and the walls had these really cool painted paddles on the wall. And of course we had a scripture with every, that went along with the theme. We had a hiking room, we had a camping room, we had a mountain biking room, you know, that had like the wheels hanging from the wall that just said, I'd finished the race. Really cool paint on the wall. How and fun. so we, we tied in biblical themes to what God gives us in nature that they understood. So we had children come in and say, oh, you know, my dad rock climbs and there's a rock climber on the wall, you know, because we would have the grips on the wall kind of thing. Um, and so they just immediately could connect instead of being like, what's that big boat with a rainbow over it? Which is not bad because it does lead to questions, but they don't connect with it immediately. And it's not really recognizable, right? That old, the old school art of Noah's Ark is what yes. you're talking about, right? Yes. yes. I mean, but they I all just, get a canoe. Yes. So, I mean, we just tried to connect with our where we were. Well, and let me say this, Chuck. It was all tied to theological convictions. Acts mm -hmm. 17 is Paul's 
expression of the faith with secular people. He's on, you know, Mars Hill. And he says, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the exact times and places where they should live. So everybody has been inserted into God's story. Everybody has been put on the earth at a place to reach a particular people. And so we just said everybody has a story. And so just like Paul quoted the the poets of his day in order to reach people of his day, we wanted to embrace the culture where we could and oppose it where we must. So when people walked into the building, they could see, oh, these people like Colorado culture. They're happy here. They they celebrate things we celebrate. I love to mountain bike. We have a connection. Instead of just plastering the walls with our favorite stories, thought about what are the things that they like so that they would feel warm and inviting when they come in. And it really worked. The kids space was so inviting and fun. We had churches from all around the city wanting to come and check it out. How cool. It's, it's for me that principle there is one of knowing your audience, know, know who you're talking to and be, um, be connected and informed by the culture that you're ministering in. Cause we can't just pick up what worked in Tennessee. If you just took what worked in Tennessee and tried to plug that in as a template to Colorado, it wouldn't have worked. I would think, mm-hmm. would you agree with that statement? For Absolutely. Sure. And in West Tennessee, I might have made a farming room, a tractor room. Yeah, right. I mean, Canoes and mountain bikes may not have been the right thing there. It's all about knowing right. who you're talking to. What are the people in the culture doing? How are they spending their time? Like where, where do they live? And how do we make church something that relates to where they live? The things they care about. So as you established that, you're, you gave really careful attention to the community that you were in and to decorate environmentally things that would appeal to them and be approachable to them. How about the way that you interacted with people? Uh, I would imagine that you didn't start with, uh, you know, we talked about revitalization where you may be in a church that's been there, that's established, and you need to work with what's established and adjust it. That's really different than starting with nothing and uh, and determining where to go from the onset. So knowing the culture that were you, that you were in, how did that affect your approach to ministry, the, the language yes. that you use, the way that you engaged? I can think of lots of examples. You want to go first, Lindley? Uh, I'll go first. I mean, we the language that we used was uh, the long the long suffering patient game, mm-hmm. um, and so we just really believed that. We read a book that said um, people uh, trust a person before they wait. I'm I'm butchering that, Ben. Say that for me. What is it? Uh, they trust a Christian before they trust Christ. What we what we just felt with that was that we had event after event that didn't that was not a bait and switch. Hmm. So we just wanted people to trust us before they would trust the church. And so we'd have them come in. We would do movie nights. We would do father son things. Like we had a Navy SEALs event with dads and sons and they just got covered in mud. A guy had at his house um, and it was zip lining and mud and all that stuff. And there was no, there was no giant gospel presentation at the end of it. Hmm. We of course always said, you know, this is sponsored by Storyline. We love kids. We would love to have your families at church. Um, all these things like that. But we wouldn't we wouldn't bait and switch them because then they wouldn't come back. And we just felt like, how many things can we create to where 
they end up having a good experience with us enough to come through the doors of our church because they we knew then we knew that they would have a, a trustworthy experience with a leader or or hearing about the gospel if they came into the doors but we had to get them there and i just think it's too many times we create this event and don't we aren't upfront with people as to what's going to happen and they come and they feel like oh great this has been fun and then at the end of watching like monsters inc or something we get the pastors up there and they give this big giant gospel presentation and people are immediately turned off to that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, have and then they don't want to come back next time, right? They don't then come back. They, you might get them once, but they're not coming back. They don't trust what's going to happen again. And so yeah. we just said, you know, we're going to, we're just going to play the long game and we're going to be patient. And we, we, we feel like this is going to work and it did work. I mean, what were you going to add, Ben? Well, several things. When we would promote for this event, like on nextdoor.com, we would tell the community, hey, we are a church. We are sponsoring this event. There will be nothing churchy at this event. So if you want to come watch the movie with your family, there's popcorn. That's it. We would have to be that explicit or people would be like, man, we're going to go. And then they're going to ask us to sign a membership card. Or they're going to try to like come to our house. They're going to make it door. awkward. Yeah, don't or visit gonna, me afterwards. Yeah. They're going to ask for money. I mean, something mm-hmm. like that. They just they have a, a bad imagery of what Christians are. And so... Mm-hmm. I, what I think this is the golden rule in so many things. Treat others the way you want to be treated. When I go to a concert and halfway through, they stop to do a charity plug for 15 minutes. I can't help it. Even if I like the charity, I'm like, I didn't come here for that. <laughs> I came to listen to some music and it starts to feel like manipulative. We learned this by talking to our unchurched neighbors that when they started to attend our church, and we put a welcome bag in their hands as soon as they walked through the door. They were they were like really conspicuous at that point. They were the ones walking around with the mug in the bag. And they were like, we didn't uh, like yeah. that. That made us feel like we were like red meat. Um, so we stopped doing that. So some of this was just listening to the feedback that we were getting. You know, well, other things that churches do that I'm sorry, I'm going to offend somebody here. But when you on a Sunday morning ask people to turn around and in groups of three pray out loud together, you are alienating non-religious people who who might be just checking that they're not coming back. That's super awkward from somebody who doesn't know these people and doesn't even know confidently how to pray. So, well, I mean, even we, we there were little things. And again, we're we are not trying to be offensive. We just have I mean person after person who told us this, like they don't want to put on their flashers when they come in to be recognized as a guest in their vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to, they don't want some of those things because the first couple of times they want to just check it out. And I'm the same way. Like I don't like going to a car dealership and, you know, someone immediately attacking versus <laughs> just letting us look. And so like, I just don't understand why we don't allow people to just come in and have a good experience. And if they want to grab a bag on the way out, then fantastic, grab a bag. No, in, so in that, we, I, I think it's really important that we be aware that sometimes new people want to lay low and they kind of want to be under the radar. They want to be able to check it out without feeling uh, called out like that. He's mentioned that bag. It's almost like it's a beacon that says, I'm new, I'm new, yes. which can make people have weird, awkward conversations with you that are not authentic. The other side of that is I know that you're proponents of extravagant welcome and extreme hospitality. How can we accomplish that goal of making everyone feel welcome and wanted without putting your flashers on or standing up if you're brand new? Well, I mean, for me personally, I think you need to train churches to be friendly. 
I mean, if you, because I, I mean, I am an eight, we're talking about Enneagrams. And so loyalty is a big deal to me. And I don't like it if someone only speaks to me because I'm carrying that bag. Like I, I want it to be to walk into a church. Like there was a, about a year ago, Ben spoke at a church and I'm not kidding you from sitting down to leaving, not a single person talked to me or the kids, mm. not a single hello, not a single anything. And afterwards they knew who we were. And I'm not saying they knew who we were as in like we were some big thing. They knew he was the preacher. And so no one even said, oh, I enjoyed that or I didn't enjoy it or anything. And so I think that's a cultural problem. And so for Mm -hmm. me, like, I don't like it if someone is only talking to me because I'm carrying that bag. I feel like I would rather go in kind of as a secret shopper and see, well, how many people spoke to me as is? And if your church isn't friendly, like that's a leadership problem. Mm -hmm. Like the leaders need to be training people how to be friendly. Well, so you mentioned that word culture, you know, we've all heard the phrase culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? There's all these new visitor strategies, but really nothing is more compelling than a culture that is just warm and friendly and loving. And especially from where we sit in the kids space, we have opportunities for the, for first time families to come and drop their kids off. And we have a moment to interact with them. That's a very natural opportunity to engage with a visitor that's not contrived. It's just a part of drop off and pick up. And so for our kids teams to be challenged and coached and encouraged to be hospitable and welcoming and to look for those new people, not in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable, but in a way that we can intentionally greet them in an authentic way. And that's a part of the culture we need to create, is it not? It is. And this gets really controversial, Chuck, because opinions are all over the map on this. But for us in our setting... Uh, we had to be careful how we did communion. Mm. Uh, if we had something that really made unchurched people feel embarrassed, uh, we would try to figure out how do we avoid, how do we accomplish the purpose without embarrassing them? So for example, communion might be a, a really clear talk of saying, hey, this is what this is. This is why we practice it. If you're still checking out Jesus, we don't want you to feel weird at all about passing on, on the elements today. Uh, but this is something that was designed for Christians who have made a commitment to Christ, but being very intentional about the language there. Uh, there were even times where we said, hey, uh, we're going to have communion. And as we stand to sing, if you'd like to slip out and you don't want to participate in this because it's for people, we would figure out ways to let them discreetly go out to the lobby and find more information about the church. You just have to start thinking like an unchurched person and, This is a moment when people are going to look at me funny and I don't like that. Nobody likes that. So how do you eliminate those obstacles as much as possible? I think community is a great example in the in big church, in the adult space where we need to be aware of that. Lindley, what are some of those things in the kids area that we might need to be aware of that we may unintentionally do that could make a kid feel like they don't belong? I I can give you one. Lindley was great at this. Kids do not like to walk into a chaotic room. And everybody's running around crazy. There's nothing immediately for my hands to do. I watch them. They do this over and over. New kid comes into a classroom and, hey, do you want to come over and do a puzzle? Would you like to come over and do this craft? There's something to take their their mind off the fact that they're the newbie. And it's a gentle introduction into community. Yeah, I mean, I, I can go off of that a little bit. I mean, I just... I would train our volunteers, and so many people do. I mean, there's so many churches do this really well, but I think you cannot 
overestimate the power of having a teacher bend down and greet a child, a new child by name. Look Instead him in the of, eye, call him by yeah, name. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love your dress today or, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But I just think sometimes that I've seen this happen and they just kind of like shove a kid in a classroom and don't say, hey, you know, so-and-so is doing, is coloring. Would you like to color with her or whatever? And so I just think the intentionality piece is missed so much in chaos that we forget how, I mean, I don't like to walk into a really chaotic room. I feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I'm not bubbly like Ben. Like I, If I come into a big banquet and there's a seat for me with my name on it, I feel so relieved than having to just mm-hmm. find a, a seat in the middle of like 150 seats. Um, and then picking like which table looks, because then you t- you talk about how we judge people. I'm like, which table looks like people that I would get along with, mm-hmm. you know, versus just saying like, here, let's come right into here. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes total sense. And I would say this too. It's amazing how many churches put very little thought into the furniture and the toys and the things that are in the room. You know, there's a dry erase board and a marker like, oh, go draw and play tic-tac-toe kids. When there's a group of kids that like to get on the floor and build some Legos. Uh, it's, it doesn't take a lot, but just what are different kinds of kids wanting to do in that really awkward first 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. It's, I say this is, this is true of men and women, but it's also true of kids. So here's, here's my little truth here. So generally speaking, women like to do things face to face. Like women will sit down over coffee or over tea and they'll look each other in the eye and have conversations. That's very awkward for men. Men like to do things side by side. So Ben, if you and I could work on something together, it's not us looking each other in the eye and having that weird man moment. It's us looking together at this project or this problem and together we bond side by side. And I think there's truth in the kid space of that as well. Kids who are new need to be able to do things side by side with other kids where they don't have to be completely face to face with a leader. That's intimidating, especially if you tower over them. But we need to find opportunities to let them build gentle, soft connection with people. And then over the course of time, we begin to turn to face each other so that we do end up looking each other in the eye. But it takes a while sometimes. So I think it's good for us to build in things like that, Ben, Legos or or puzzles, Lindley, as things to get started to onboard people. And I would expand that to say introverted women function like men. (laughs) And that they – we like our own church neighbors – she was not a person that you would want to put face to face right away. She'd rather work on a project. So I, as much as that's true generally of men, there's actually a large portion of women also that would rather work on something at first than, than get matched up with Judy and start sharing life secrets. And uh, truthfully, we, we all have our own different preferences of how we want to interact. So we as leaders, if we only provide one of those options, either everybody has to be face to face or everybody side by side, it's much better if we acknowledge that we need to give options. Mm-hmm. Lindley and I learned this recently. We had a one Lifeway gathering, which for our guests is all of our employees come in and we had to do this two day rally. And if you're an extroverted people person, like it's like eating cotton candy for two days. It's such a but, fun thing. But if you're an introvert who likes heads down work, about halfway through that conference, you're starting to feel like overwhelmed. So we had a service project planned during a lunch hour where people would assemble things that would be sent to 
some different ministries. And Lindley noticed that the introverts showed up like 45 minutes early. They ate quickly and got into the room where they could start assembling things because it gave them a sense of like productivity and just release from the constant social interaction. And there are a lot of people in the church and a lot of kids in the church. They just feel better when they're immediately put into some kind of meaningful activity rather than just running around the room. Well, I think that we don't do our churches of any service anymore to just assume that every child, because they're a child, they love fun and they love to be wild and crazy. I mean, we have four kids who can are all so different coming from the same parents and every person out there has the same story. Like everybody's kids are all the same different. I mean, are all so different. And so I think that we just think, Oh, kids ministry is fun and loud and wild and crazy. And, you know, now even as we become more, medically advanced, you know, we're, we're hearing of like sensory disorders and, you know, ADD things, stuff that we just didn't hear about as much growing up. And so, I mean, I, but, but we're not changing fast enough to say, you know, for the child who comes in and it's really loud and the kid and the parent can't get them to come into the classroom. Like, how are we training our leaders to say, you know, what do you do with that child who, who's like, I can't come in. It's too loud. What we are you have a story at? on this. We were visiting churches before we were church planners, we went to a church that had a youth program and they said, hey, we start off in the gym. So our kids, we watched this happen. Our kids walk into a gym where dodgeballs are flying every way. Kids are running around and all of our kids stood there like terrified. like Frozen, you huddle together. What are we supposed to do? And it was a perfect example of what she's talking about. Of Even our kids, who I think are, are pretty outgoing kids, in a new environment, they shell up. And so how do you create a safe space for kids? And parents appreciate that too. I think a great word from this whole thing is I'm just thinking through all that we've covered about the community you serve in, the, the culture that you're ministering in, the, the way that you address and acknowledge newcomers. Uh, it, it, for me, it all comes back to the need that we have in the church to raise awareness for awareness. We, we need to be aware that not everyone is the same. We need to be aware of the context we're in and of the individual who's right in front of us. And so if we try to templatize any of that, we're going to miss the personal touch. That really is what ministry is all about. It's all about the individual connection. And we come to Christ one by one, right? And so that's very individualized. And when you reach a kid in a non religious community, you have to do things differently. You got to think differently. So for example, after kids camp, when we would have kids pray to receive Christ at our gospel presentations, mm-hmm. we would want to notify the parents that a kid has made a spiritual decision, but we had to be really careful on how that letter was written to write a letter to a non-religious person and say, Hey, uh, Susan re- 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 received Jesus. And we're so excited that we'd like to see her baptized. Well, That terrifies a non-religious person. But a letter that says, we want to let you know that we've been teaching the teachings of Jesus and Susan has shown an interest in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you'd like to be a part of a conversation about that, here's how you can follow up with us. And we'd love to explain to you what that means. Yeah, Exactly. And it was written in a very gentle tone so that you're not coming across as manipulative to a kid. And their parents don't appreciate that. So you just have to start thinking from a different lens than when you're reaching a church audience. 
Lindley and Ben Mandrell, thank you guys. It's so good to have you back on. Thanks for sharing with us today. It's been a Thanks blast for having to be on, us. Chuck. Thank you. Well, listeners, go get your Honey Nut Cheerios and pack your bags and bring them with you to the Etch Conference. The Etch Next Gen Ministry Conference is happening this October 3rd through 5th here in our hometown of Nashville. Etch Conference is more than just a conference. It's a place where you can connect and network and get to know real people and the real people of Lifeway, including Ben and Lindley Mandrell who will be with us. Buzz over to etchconference.com. Get signed up today. Don't come alone would be my word to you. Bring your friends, bring your team, bring your preschool kids, middle school and high school teams. We have something for everyone. And we would love to see you at this year's Etch Conference. Again, October 3rd through 5th in Nashville and information available at etchconference.com. Thank you for listening today. We'll see you back again soon for another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. 